Welcome everyone, this is Carlos from SeedCamp. Uh, I have a special guest today, Dimitar from Stack Overflow. And we're going to be covering uh, hiring. Hiring as a process, hiring as a challenge, hiring externally, hiring from within. And along with Dimitar, we have Dave Haynes, Dave Haynes from SeedCamp. But uh, perhaps you didn't know that Dave Haynes was uh, a founder of a company called Hire My Friend, where he tackled some of the same challenges with a different angle. And to kick things off, maybe we'll do this in, in a little bit of a reverse order since we'll be focusing a lot about what you do, Dimitar. Maybe, Dave, you can kick things off by sharing um, to the audience a little bit about uh, what Hire My Friend was supposed to be about and how it worked and, and sort of maybe some of the interesting, interesting observations that you, you picked up. Yeah, so Hire My Friend came about when uh, I was working at a startup studio called Mayshift, um, and we were building lots of tools, building small hacks, things that solved our own problems. Um, so we made a bunch of things like attending.io and LinkedIn um, that helped the team at Makeshift do their work better. And one of the problems that we just kept coming back to is, you know, the problem that I think a lot of people face in London of hiring developers. I mean, it's just so hard to hire developers, even harder to, to hire great developers. But the, the initial hack came from actually, so um, one of the uh, original team at Makeshift, John Gold, um, he had actually hacked together a tool to try and um, get his girlfriend hired. So it's like, well, what if I can make a page? Um, you know, I can't tell the world that my, my girlfriend is looking for work, but I can make it anonymous and, and put it out there. So anyway, we, so, so we kind of built this hack and it got a bit of momentum. But um, I guess one of our kind of later insights was the, the anonymity around hiring. So I think, um, you know, great developers, they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily actively looking for jobs. Um, but this concept of being like we, we kind of changed it slightly to the concept of being headhunted. So um, you know, if a startup can see your skills and say, "Hey, yeah, I'm looking for you know a great JavaScript developer with this type of profile," then it's quite flattering for for a developer to actually be approached and say, "Hey, you know, I'm looking for jobs." So it's a very curated marketplace where we where we were trying to match amazing startups who were looking for uh, talent with that talent. Excellent. So Dimitar, um, and of course I, I hate butchering your name, last name, so maybe you can just help me with it. Um, Dimitar Stanislav. Stanislav. Talk to us a little bit about uh, your background. We always like to start off with the origin story, sure. the college experience that led you to, and I, I know we met way before you were at Stack Overflow, yeah. but maybe you can take us back to, to sort of the first thing you did after you graduated. What, what did you study? What did you do? Um, so um, I did... I graduated, I uh, did economics at UCL, that was my undergrad, um, and then uh, I went um, in finance, went into finance. I had a, a short stint in the city, I um, did an internship at Bloomberg in data, which I would say I didn't really enjoy, uh, and I therefore went back to university and did the, uh, I went back to UCL again, and I did the MSc in technology entrepreneurship back in 2007-8, which at the time was, I think, the second time they had run it. So it was very much in its infancy, um, and the kind of the, you know program directors were trying to figure out how to teach entrepreneurship at the time. So we were kind of the uh, uh, guinea pigs at the program. Um, I did, however, meet a bunch of interesting people during the course, and we decided that upon graduation we're going to start uh, a company. Um, Myself personally, I was at that point already on a fast track to, to a city job. So, and, and me being, uh, um, I come from Bulgaria originally. Uh, my 
father's an engineer, my mother's a pharmacist, very traditional East European background. So when I told my dad that I wanted to go and start a company, he thought I had lost my mind. So he said, well, you know, you should go back to the city and, you know, get a proper job, you know. Um, so after finishing the MSc, two of my mates um, started a company and I went back to be a trader, which only lasted, luckily or unluckily at the time, I thought, for a couple of months, because that's when we had the uh, subprime collapse, um, Lehman, um, defaulting and, and, and whatnot. So uh, my career as a trader was short-lived uh, and I um, ended up joining my friends who I had worked um, with on a joint project which ended up being our first business. Um, that was a student job board, I think that the you know, way to describe it would be, with a bunch of interesting twists um, to it. So um, while we were at university, we could figure out the most students in the UK um, at one point during their studies faced severe financial difficulties to the point where nine out of those students had apparently considered dropping out of university because of financial difficulties, right? So we thought, okay, well, wouldn't it be cool if we can basically help university students to find a part-time job? Nothing nothing too, um, too crazy, but something that would allow them to um, pay the bills while they, they study. So we decided to focus on a part-time job board purely for students which specialised in... Um, bartendering jobs, uh, in um, catering, anything that essentially didn't really require a lot of experience. So mm -hmm. because of that, we thought the emphasis uh, on the application process should be on the soft skills, not, not on experience, but you know, how mm -hmm. you come across, um, et cetera, how presentable you are, all those things which we wanted to highlight with the introduction of video in, in the recruitment process. Um, the company was called Fat Students. Which a fat student, fat F A T, fat student. You know, nice. It's it's not offensive we, at all. But no, okay. we. I think we called the name terribly <laughs> wrong. I thought at the time we were being smart, and it was something that was sticking people remembered, which they did, but for all the wrong reasons. Um. So you know, when we said, "Oh, we're from fat student," everyone thought that we were trying to tackle obesity, uh, <laughs> and that was not the case. Um. So uh, we had also like a, an interesting geolocation component to it. So one of the ideas was that if you type your um, your postcode, we will show you jobs uh, within your local vicinity. So uh, students essentially, we figured out, would either look for a job near university or near home. Um, so that's what we did. And when you wanted to apply, you would basically record a short 30-second video clip of yourself um, highlighting your communication skills, how you come across, all those things that would be we thought more important than lots and lots of experience and paper. So maybe we can take a quick pause here to talk a little bit about how people talk about themselves, right? With with Hire My Friend, it was, to some extent, somebody else talking about you, which I guess can help, depending on mm -hmm. your cultural assertiveness around speaking about your accomplishments. And then in the case of, of your company, Fat Student, you ended up having people talk about themselves mm -hmm. in a different way. What, what, um, what mistakes do you currently see Everyone, in, in, in perhaps some that you saw, the typical mistakes that people make, and maybe Dimitar as well, um, what mistakes you see in people, how, how they could better articulate their accomplishments. What things should they hi um, highlight versus not highlight for those that are actively looking? So when you, when you ask how, how people communicate, you mean on the candidate side or on the employer side? Because if I have to wear, you know... Do both, do both. Maybe like what you would have loved to hear more about versus what people are talking about, either or. I think the way I would look at it right now, I don't know if that's the case with you though, but the way I would look at it right now, the, the mistakes that we're seeing are not necessarily on the candidate side per se. Um, so, 
fast forward to you know 2016 and, and Stack Overflow, we're in, in a, an incredibly competitive market uh, on the employer side. So for everyone developer, you're looking at roughly five to six jobs. So even if you're not really presenting yourself in the right way, you still stand a substantial chance of being spotted and hired because the market is so competitive. So the challenges that we're seeing right now uh, on the um, the employer side, where people still believe that they are in a volume market, um, and when they advertise their positions and their openings in their companies, instead of trying to sell the opportunity to the candidate, they tend to list um, um, all sorts of requirements and demands that they expect the candidate to have, which simply doesn't work because the uh, unemployment rate for programmers is, is less than 2%. And this is according to our latest um, annual developer user survey. Less than 2%. What that means is that people are just not looking, so therefore trying to, to tell someone that you need X amount of years of experience and, and this and that and, and the third just doesn't work. So that's kind of the biggest thing that we're seeing on our side. What, what, did you see anything like that as well? Yeah, I think, I mean, that, that was part of the great thing about the Hire My Friend platform was it was, it was you know, it came down to you as a, an, uh, an employer, as a startup, was searching through this um, list, of, uh, list of developers um, who weren't necessarily actively looking actively looking for a job and we found that the more personal the introduction was the more you could say hey you know I saw your profile you know look like you could be a fit because x y and z or you know explaining a bit more about the softer side of your business um, I think really helps make that connection um, because developers I mean they get hit up by so many different people every, like day in day out to the point the other, the other thing that we found was a lot of developers were pulling down their um, CVs from LinkedIn because they would just get recruiter spam. Uh, there was one one meme that was going around the office which was actually I think it was down in East London and um, some recruiters had found uh, where a bunch of developers were and started to kind of leave stickers on their bikes and the bike was discovered with you know if you want a new a new job then call me and it's just that's just totally the wrong way uh, to approach a developer if if they're a great developer they're not looking actively looking for a job so you have to make a connection on a slightly different level than just say hey look here's a job here's a salary uh, and here's the stock options I think it, it goes one level deeper than that. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, you know, if we pick up where we left off at, at Fat Student, you were at the point now where perhaps um, you had already some level of, of uh, user base and at some, so, point it, at some point it, you wrap things up. So what happened there? Well, how did it so, fall apart? So, uh, well, a couple of different things. I think, A, looking back, we were perhaps a touch too early. So, you know, we started working on this in 2008, nine. So this is kind of the infancy of the iPhone. Um, so when you think about geolocation-based apps and if you think about video, we were way ahead of the curve. So while I think we had the right idea, we got the timing totally wrong. Um, part of the, 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 you know, the, the fast student proposition was that an employer will be able to review uh, video applications um, at their convenience. And a lot of the people who we targeted simply did not have the means to do it. So, you know, we would go into a bar or a pub in central London, people there would not have a computer or, you know, internet connection. Um, no one, you know, again, like not many people had an iPhone at the time. Um, 3G, 4G was not really a thing. Um, so the technology that would have enabled um, our business was not quite there yet. So that was, that was one. Um, so I think we'll kind of naive about, uh, also quite naive about the operational side of the business. It was a two-sided market and I think we, looking back, we totally underestimated the complexity and, uh, and the efforts involved in, in building a two-sided market. So at the time our assumption 
um, because we had never done a business before, our assumption was that uh, trying to sell uh, to employers on one side, people who were looking to hire um, um, students, would have been the harder side of, of building the, the market. Um, which turns out was actually not the case. We were able to, within a month or, or two after launch, to, to have some 300 jobs on the website, which paid way above the um, minimum wage or average, actually. Um, but we really struggled then to um, build the other side of the market. So we had people who were paid to be on the website, but there was no one applying, which was mm. kind of our proposition. We were saying, hey, you know, if you advertise with us, you're going to get plenty of qualified students from some of the best universities in London, and we, you know, we could just not get the, the scale. Couldn't um, get the scale. So, and you know, one other thing that we I think we got wrong was, and that's kind of very obvious now, but at the time, you know, we, we spent perhaps nine months to a year building the platform and then launching it instead of validating all of those key assumptions. I think, you know, if we could basically take it a step at a time, um, you know, we could have figured this one out way earlier. So what ended up happening is, you know, we launched um, after, you know, a year or so of, of building the product and then we figured out that we were just going to run out of money. Uh, <laughs> one of our big aspirations at the time was to um, say, in 2010, uh, sorry, 2012, we had the Olympics mm. in London, right? So one of the big aspirations we had at the time was to uh, pitch Lockhock, which was the body that was staging the Olympics, mm. um, and, and sell them our platform as the means to interview uh, and screen all these, I think it was 70,000 volunteers they were looking mm. to hire. And again, soft skills and, um, uh, you know, being able to come across well uh, was one of the things that they, they said was the most important instead of experience because they were looking to attract people mm. from all over Europe, right? So we thought, what better way of doing yeah. this than video? Um, so we uh, got a bit of help from London and Partners at the time. Uh, they had this touchdown London program. I don't know if they still do it. Mm. Um, but they uh, they helped us um, pitch to Lockhock and then I managed to somehow pull some personal connections that I, I made. and We actually ended up pitching them and being considered for, for the opportunity. Cool. Which was crazy when you think about it, because we were, you know, yeah. a very small company. Uh, we didn't get it, of course. Uh, we kind of figured out that we, you know, uh, we we're running out of options here. You know, fast student was not really taken off the way we thought it would be. We were beginning to run out of money, um, but the video component seemed to have caught people's attention. Hmm. So I guess what we did around two thousand, late two thousand and well, early 2010 perhaps, or late 2009, we uh, did a bit of a pivot and we took the video components of Fat Student uh, and ended up um, building a B2B uh, platform called Ovia, which stood for Online Video Interview and Application. Uh, and that's the business that really took off. Mm. So the use case there was for anyone, any employer who was looking to conduct interviews at a very large scale, whether it's phone interviews or face-to-face -face interviews, instead of having to deal with, you know, scheduling thousands of interviews and then having to review those interviews, um, we provided them with a platform where they would pre-record a set of questions that would be compiled into what we call a, you know, an asynchronous video interview. Uh, and literally within the click of a button, they would email uh, all of the, the different candidates that um, they wanted to interview, who in turn would take the interview in their own time. So we completely eliminated the logistical side of, of the process. Um, and then the other thing was, which um, I still think is, you know, is, is, is fantastic, was the idea of being able to have the very same structured interview, of being able to evaluate candidates in the very same manner instead of 
going on tangents, having different conversations and, you know, comparing apple and oranges. Mm. Um, so that's the thing that we did and that was around 2000 and, uh, um, 10, early to, well, late 2000 and 2010. Mm. Uh, and we ended up selling to Fortune 500s and um, um, academic institutions as well. That was kind of, uh, a, you know, one of the early wins that we had. Um, University College London, for example, where we graduated, were one of our very first early adopters because they had this big problem of trying to evaluate people from you know South America and you mm. know Japan and you know the US applying for their postgraduate degrees and just you know scheduling the interviews and reviewing was a nightmare. So you know when we we went to them and said, hey, we think we we have something that would solve that problem, they absolutely loved it. Um, so that was over here, um, and then uh, around two thousand and uh, well, spring of 2011, myself and, and Kess Tegeson, who was one of the co-founders, the two of us ended up selling out sharing the business who at the time could raise money in, in the US and uh, relocated to Mountain View. Um, and I ended up being headhunted by Stack Overflow, which is where I've spent my last four and a half years working on the careers business initially and now on developing sites. Uh, and Kess ended up building another company in San Francisco called Rollpoint, which is also in the talent space. Excellent. Yeah. So you've definitely covered all grounds in yeah. terms of, of hiring um, from, from being a founder to having to hire people internally to now working one of the largest uh, developer recruiting platforms out there. Um, one of the things that perhaps uh, we can move to is talking a little bit about how maybe it's a chance to plug Stack mm -hmm. a, a little bit here. It's like, how does, how does Stack Overflow and, and Stack Exchange work in terms of facilitating companies uh, in, in looking for developers and in sure. helping curate. So if I were a company looking across a multiplicity of different platforms mm -hmm. to help me with this, why would, why would it be better? Um, okay, where do we start? So perhaps I should, I should take, take a step back and explain mm -hmm. how Stack Overflow works as mm -hmm. a Q&A platform because this is how the business originated. Mm -hmm. um, so um, the company uh, was founded in 2007 in New York City. Um, and the idea at the time was um, not necessarily to, to match developers with hiring companies, but it was addressing a, a very big and fundamental problem at the time, which was the programmers did not really have a good way of founding quality answers to questions that they, uh, or problems that they faced at work or home coding. Um, so Joel Spolsky and Jeff Altwoods, um, both very famous bloggers, so Joel's uh, I used to write a, a blog called Java Software and Jeff, a blog called Coding Horror, kind of joint forces. Um, Bill Stack Overflow launched in 2007 uh, and it was what many people describe as a, uh, an overnight sensation, you know, the, they hit the hockey curve growth essentially. Um, now if you, if you speak to Joel, you know, he would say that that was not really, uh, you know, um, you know, an overnight sensation, but instead he would argue that what you see, you know, happening in 2007 when they launched was the tip of an iceberg, you know, 90% of the body is underwater, and Joe refers to that body underwater as the eight years or so he spent blogging on Java software, building a massive following of developers, which essentially was the critical master enabled that uh, rocket mm. growth. So that's how the, start, uh, the, the website started. Uh, nowadays, it's used by uh, uh, pretty much every single programmer in the, in the world. So we have some 40 million uniques every single month. Um, we're talking about people from literally uh, all corners of the world who, who visit uh, the website on a regular basis and use it as a resource when they code. So the most common use cases, I'm at work and literally on one side I have my um, 
my terminal of coding on the other side, I have Stack Overflow, and the screen next to me have Stack Overflow. So whenever I stumble upon some sort of problem, I, I will just go for Stack Overflow. Um, so we we have essentially become a, a you know the go-to place for programmers to to solve problems while they mm -hmm. they work. Um, so that's how the website started, uh, and um, the way we we monetize one of our main revenue uh, drivers is um, Stack Overflow Careers which is a platform that sits directly on top of Stack Overflow uh, and connects every single developer who visits Stack Overflow um, to companies who are looking to hire great engineering talent. And to, to answer your question, why is it better than anything else? I, I, I wouldn't perhaps say it's better than anything else, but we certainly have uh, a very strong competitive advantage in, in the current market. Um, as we earlier touched upon, uh, you're looking at an incredibly uh, a competitive market where programmers are not really looking for, for any jobs. So the way we deal with this is um, we kind of flip the traditional job board model when it's said in a way. So instead of relying on a programmer going to a an internet property and looking for a job, which is how you know job boards work, we take your job and we place it in front of the right programmers of Stack Overflow. Uh, and the way we do it is we basically target uh, job listings that are advertised on careers. We target them based on location and also based on the type of program we want to reach. So if you, you know, if a um, seed camp are looking for a, let's say, a Python programmer in London, we will be able to present your job in front of all the Python programmers uh, in London uh, who will be consuming um, Stack Overflow content. So um, I guess the long and the short of it is that um, we just have the right audience. We have the right audience, and we're able to present relative, uh, re relevant content yeah, at a time when no one actually is, you know, would go out of their way to look for it. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the, the big thing. And we also have a, a, a more direct approach to it. We have a um, um, CV database, I suppose is one way of describing it, but we call it Stack Overflow Profiles um, platform, where where a programmer would um, would have pretty much their entire career summarized in, in this nice profile which includes things as you know the traditional things such as you know um, experience and uh, education you name it below so you can see their contribution of stack overflow questions they have um, answered questions they have uh, asked uh, books that they're reading any speaking engagements they might have had etc so it, it paints a very holistic picture of who you are as mm -hmm. a programmer um, and that's a paid service as well we can query the database uh, and, and contact people directly um, mm. And we enjoy a very high reply rate there because we are the trusted resource for mm. for programmers. So we're looking at seventy, I think it's seventy eight percent within the first forty eight hours reply rate. Mm. Okay, well maybe now we can shift to parameters that that make uh, matches successful, mm -hmm. and and any patterns and statistics and. Um, maybe also, Dave, if you, if you recall from Hire My Friend, any observations that were particular to the way that companies that have put successful um, requests out there versus those that were not so successful. So maybe we can start off, Dimitar, with, with looking at um, how you typically consult. Like if you're now, let's say you're talking to a non-technical co-founder mm -hmm. uh, about their hiring needs. Like what are the, the things that you typically say you know what? Get, th get this right. Yeah. Get really get this right because this fundamentally will kill your ability to find the best people if you don't get this right. Yeah. Um, so I mean, this is such a such a complicated question to answer. There's so many things that you can go for it, man. You can, you can plug into. 
you know, the successful recruitment campaign. Well, so, you know, the way we think about it is, you know, we have, and this might be an oversimplification, but I think it's, it's, it's already, I trust it will be very helpful for anyone listening. Um, so going back to what we were saying earlier about mistakes, one of the things that we have seen, because the market is so busy and so competitive, uh, and there's literally a recruitment startup, uh, you know, emerging every, every week, uh, you know, um, you name it, like literally every week there will be a new recruitment startup uh, specifically trying to tackle the problem of hiring engineers. Um, and because there's an abundance of choice uh, in terms of platforms, I think it's very easy for employers to, when not successful on, on one particular platform, to kind of blame it on the platform and say, well, you know what, you know, it was Stack, Stack Overflow's fault, it was Hire My Friend's fault, or it was, I don't know, Workshape IO, whatever it is, um, that didn't work. And then not actually look what they might be getting wrong than, than themselves and switch to another platform. Um, so the first and, and, and foremost thing that I would say is that everyone should kind of question their own internal processes and how they, they market to programmers. And the way we think about this is the way we think of, um, uh, of you know what constitutes a successful hiring campaign is we've tried to equate to kind of boil it down to a mathematical equation. Uh, three key components to it. One we call the external factors, which is put simply are there enough programmers or you know enough programmers based on the type of developer you're looking for where you are or where you're trying to recruit from because it is a super competitive market two what is your internal environment um, this is to say are you um, a company that uh, software developers would want to work uh, in because again uh, they have a choice you know we were said five to six jobs for programmers so therefore you have to be appealing to programmers and only then you should start considering the exposure piece which is you know placing placing yourself in your adverts you know uh, on the right channels and the equation that we have is essentially brackets external environment plus internal environment times the level of exposure is what gives you the hiring campaign and the mistake that we've seen people do time and time again are being solely reliant upon the exposure piece and when that doesn't work they say, oh well, it was the, the channel. It, it wasn't. It wasn't us. It wasn't that we now advertised for a role that you know doesn't exist, and they're literally like five people in, mm. in London that can fill this vacancy. Or it wasn't the fact that you know our company is, you know, if you think of like in dating terms, perhaps a five, and we're trying to recruit developers that you know that are ten. You know, they, they never consider that. So first and foremost, again, the one piece of advice that we always give is to kind of consider the bigger picture, not just where you can advertise. And I, I don't know, David, that's... Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think I think you're exactly right. I mean, there is there are so many tools now, I mean, for sourcing. I mean, and some incredible tools because there's so much data out there on people. People give up their data, you can scrape data. I mean, I've seen some tools where you can really drill down and say, right, I want to find exactly this type of... with this person, with this type of political sentiment on Twitter. I mean, you can get very refined with the tools, but unless you, unless you actually have the processes then to back it up and I think sometimes especially you, you mentioned non-technical founders I think sometimes the non-technical founder goes into that process not not appreciating how difficult it is um, so the first piece of advice I would always give someone is that if you are that non-technical person or you haven't hired developers before you haven't hired engineers before is find an advisor or find somebody if you don't have a CTO who's experienced you know, ask them to also find an advisor, somebody who can um, even maybe take some of the interviews or review uh, review what you're doing. So I think that's the first thing. Um, you know, if, if you haven't done it before, get somebody who is experienced. Um, I think the second thing is like think about all of the other tools you're using around the uh, around the process. Make sure it, it does go super smoothly. 
Um, and like, we actually um, we set up a, an event with um, Rob Long from Workable called mm-hmm. uh, Talent Hackers, um, where we did we just got uh, you know a couple of in-house recruiters, a couple of founders, and there's so many different topics to cover when it comes to recruiting. I mean, I, I myself from experience, uh, you know, when I was at SoundCloud, it was the first time we were you know massively growing company. We were interviewing, we were being asked to interview people, you know, week in week out. And I suddenly realised I'd never actually you know I'd never learned how to interview someone. So it was partly me just kind of asking about someone's CV and partly a kind of a conversation down the pub to see whether I like the person. I had no, I I suddenly realized when I was running a a hiring process that actually interview technique and running, like understanding how to run that um, properly and making sure everyone else who was involved in the hire knew that as well uh, was essential. So I think there's a lot of background work, um, like Dimitar says, before you even kind of go out there, you need to make sure that all of these these pieces uh, line up. So you provided you provided us with a very good framework here, internal, uh, external, and, and exposure. And one of the things maybe we can do is drill down on some of those things. Yeah. Um, external, for example, would mean if you are a company who's looking to hire, for example, developers in um, outside of London, perhaps because yeah. the real estate's cheaper, but maybe the supply is, is lower. Yeah. Um, what what have you seen pattern wise? Not necessarily in terms of the UK and cities, but rather in terms of the larger Europe. Where, where would a company who's looking for talent, would you recommend start looking at um, geographically, you know, just yeah. generically speaking? You know, I, Portugal has been an increasingly uh, uh, highly popular location, but, you know, sure. maybe others that you... Yeah. Um, so, I, oh, where do we start? So, I think I can give you uh, um, um, an idea of where we see uh, a lot of our clients look and that's not necessarily to say that they're right in looking there mm. but popular destination as you said portugal very popular then you have the um former uh, well the e- e- it's not central but eastern europe and, mm. and the baltics mm. you know the likes of bulgaria romania uh, latvia estonia those those places and the reality uh, about those markets is while you know the level of uh, skills there is certainly uh, at the pie if not I probably wouldn't say higher, but definitely a par with uh, uh, with Western Europe uh, and the US, um, and, and cost is lower. Those markets are tiny, and I think this is the um, um, the thing that I, I think most people tend to overlook. Um, so, um, as I said earlier, I'm originally from Bulgaria, so the country is tiny, 7.5 million, and, and while we have certainly very good software engineers, you also have, uh, in the last... 10 years or so, you have found a lot of foreign companies, big corporates moving in and, and you know, getting their hands on the talent before, you know, the startups here didn't even realize that there were good engineers there. Mm-hmm. You also in Bulgaria, for, for instance, you have a very uh, vibrant startup community now, something that, you know, we only seen happening in the last, you know, um, five years or so. And it's the same for, for Estonia and, 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 uh, and Latvia and those, those countries. Um, you're looking at literally... Um, Probably within the three countries, Latvia, Estonia and Bulgaria, the population, the, the overall total developer population of the countries will be smaller than what you have in London. So while London will be extremely competitive, you have to question the overall size of the market and density of different technology stacks within within that market. So uh, it's not it's not as, as simple as you know yeah. a lot of people might think it is. Uh, All right, it's myth busted right there. Yeah. Uh, going abroad isn't necessarily better. The second thing I wanted to touch upon was the internal one that you mentioned and Dave you were talking a little bit about learning how to interview um, and perhaps you went through this in SoundCloud when you learned a lot about the, the, the culture of the company through working directly with Alex and Eric 
But how did how did um, how, how do you Dimitar consult companies coming to you on figuring out whether the internal uh, yeah. structures and internal capabilities to interview and and to onboard people is in line with what their sure. expectations are and how do you coach them through that if, if at all or do you just yeah. say look mate you're never going to be a 10 you know your eyes are droopy you just you just let it go That's, but you know this you know this is it sounds really funny but this is actually really good advice as well this is to say that you know uh, you have to level your expectations because if you're always trying if you as you said if you're five and you're always trying to hit that 10 it's just never going to happen so you might as well lower your expectations or align your expectations with reality yeah. and then hire someone who actually would be a good match for your company um but but to answer your question how we do it we um so we we last year we launched a um a new team of Stack Overflow, which I actually um, overlook, called Developer Insights. Uh, we provide talent mapping, data and analytics um, to help employers make data-driven decisions when it comes to their talent acquisition strategies. You know, the example we just spoke about, you know, which market do I go, where, where's the highest density of programmers based on what I'm hiring for, where should I build my engineering center, that kind of stuff. But we also consult on the um, um, internal environment piece, which is their attractiveness as an employer. And we have a very structured process. It is based on, uh, again, on data and things that we have unearthed uh, through um, questionnaires that we conduct every single year. So we every single year we do um, a global stack overflow user-based questionnaire. Um, last year we had 26,000 people. This year we had just short of 60, um, which is the largest um, survey done uh, in, in software development. Um, so we ask them all sorts of questions, uh, technologies that they like using, technologies that they don't like using, um, questions around salary and remuneration, um, things that they like or don't like, uh, and, and also a lot of uh, things around job satisfaction and what would get you essentially to consider moving from one place to another. So on the back of that survey, every single year we're able to combine, well, put together a list of the top 10 drivers that would affect an engineer. Uh, well, their mind when they evaluate an opportunity. So what we have done on the back of that is to build a structured questionnaire that we take to an engineering team or a company, uh, and based on their responses, we're able to score them against those ten things. Interesting. And say, okay, uh, these are the things that a software engineer would consider important when evaluating a job opportunity, and this is where you score highly. Or it might be the case that you know you basically score really poorly across all mm. ten, but at least you know. And so you know the point you made earlier. At least you can, if you don't believe us, believe the data and the numbers, mm. and this should help you level expectations. And actually, will give you something tangible to work on and and, and fix. Mm. This is kind of you know the beginning. But from there on, can you give us examples of what's on that list, or, yeah, or is so, it intellectual property? So I'll give you a, no, no, it's not intellectual property. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you an idea for you know the things that we you know um, from from last year, for example. Uh, it's it's a broad range of things. So um, you would consider things such as uh, where your office is based, for example, which seems to be based on our research, something the UK devs, and particularly London devs, tend to care a lot more than developers as a whole. I mean that's important, but you know in the UK we tend to put a lot of emphasis on on commute times and that kind of stuff. So that's very important. Um, the office amenities and you know, how, you know, the sort of the, uh, the wow factor, which I think nowadays most well-funded startups just take for granted anyway. So that's, that's I will see where this comes this year. Um, the, the ratio of creative work versus, you know, debugging code and maintaining code, for example. Um, I guess, you know, the, the simple way of looking at it is that 
as a developer, I would prefer to write new code instead of just being on bug duty all the time, right? Yeah. Um, you also have um, things which kind of make a lot of sense, but it's amazing how many people get it wrong. If I'm a software developer and I write code for a living, I want to have uh, essentially the latest toy, so to speak, that money can buy. I want to have a good computer, a big monitor, a powerful machine. Uh, you know, I want to be able to download whatever software I need to get my job done. And so many people expect uh, you to be doing your work on like a 16-inch monitor, you know, Windows 98, whatever, I, I don't know. Um, but those are all the things that you know you should be thinking about. And if I'm a developer and you know I'm employed somewhere and I'm not really looking for a job, and you come to me and you tell me um, that you know you're going to get a better uh, you know um, um, better salary, let's say, but that's kind of the starting point. Uh, and also you're going to get uh, you know much better working conditions. One of the things I didn't mention, which is extremely important, is the quality of the team. You're going to work with like super smart people who you can learn a lot from. Uh, you're going to be able to make decisions instead of just you know being given a spec and say right okay you go and do this. Those are all things that would essentially affect my my decision. And this is what we do with you know one of the parts of developing sites. We would come and try to evaluate the company based on those things um, and, and and advise on how you should build your your campaign. You know what should your message be on in recruitment terms? What your employee value proposition should be, which is the foundation of your. Um, adverts that you would post on Stack Overflow or hire my friend, not anymore, but you know, any 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 sort of channel from there. Yeah. How, how big a, a factor do you find it typically is um, for, for potential um, uh, people to hire with uh, both options and salary? Like it seems to be anecdotally, I've heard in London there are a lot of talented developers who actually they don't necessarily want to be tied down to one company and therefore they know they can you know, be a contractor, have a flexible work style and you know, can therefore get a, a much higher yeah. salary for, for the work they might do versus maybe in other places or in the US where you, know, you have developers who have had friends who have had you know, options in Facebook or Twitter and now you know, they're, they're kind of millionaires effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how have you seen that play out in, in London and has it changed over the years? Um, so I don't have the exact numbers for this year, but what he said is absolutely spot on. In the US, um, options, stock options, uh, etc., tend to be much more of a pull factor for programmers to join a company. Here, um, for whatever reason, is it's not so much of a factor. Much more important tends to be the um, um, work-life balance, especially again in London. Um, and maybe it's because we have a very, very big um, contracting culture here people getting obscene amount of money for you know day, day's work uh, so maybe that's a contributing factor mm. I mean I wonder if as the European e ecosystem does see more exits or more successful you know success stories to be you know like the Spotify's of this yeah. world um, maybe that will have a change people start to value the, the options slightly more because that's a question we should direct at Carlos. <laughs> yeah, no, well, for, for perhaps for a different podcast on it, but um, I, I'm going to avoid the question because I want to ask Dave. I want to ask Dave a question, which perhaps answers this one as well. Which is how how did SoundCloud do it? I mean, SoundCloud um, is known for its strong culture. It's known for its happiness, uh, sort of for the employees. And maybe you can walk us through kind of what what that was like what was the hiring process in soundcloud like yeah did they get I mean, options and yeah exactly i mean i think they, they there were certainly different stages i think at the beginning and you know this is an ideal scenario i think for your first kind of five to five to twenty people mm -hmm. the more of those who can be personal friends or people that 
put in from your network who are you know very passionate they're willing to work for you know not much money they're not making the same trade-offs of well I could choose between these three jobs they, they really want to come in as, as part of a founding team that if you can have a really strong base like that that helps because then those people will also bring in their networks yeah. because they have as much passion as the founder so they can go out and kind of sell people on the story um, I think we were very very lucky in two respects so even though whilst I was based in London, the company was based in Berlin at a time when Berlin was still, I mean, it is still a great place to be, it's still very edgy, but maybe even more so. So we were able to attract a certain type of developer who was attracted to working and yeah. living in Berlin and experiencing that lifestyle. And also um, rents were very cheap. Uh, they, they've gone up, but you know, you could you could you could come to Berlin, not have too much you know high salary or, or really consider the salary, um, but have a very rewarding uh, lifestyle there. So I think we were we were lucky in that respect. The other thing that played very much to our favours is if you looked at our team, you know certainly the first fifty or sixty, most of our developers were actually people who used the platform, yeah. or they were musicians, or you know they love going out clubbing. You know most of our developers would come in on well not most of them, but you know they'd come in on Monday and you know they'd all, all been out in. Berghain yeah. or enjoying the, enjoying the Berlin techno scene. So I think we were maybe uh, lucky there. And I think uh, after a certain time, you have momentum behind your company where um, you need to be able to tell certain success factors, like you said, before you go and exposure and, uh, to the exposure stage and tell people about jobs. If people have read like press articles, if they've seen that you've just fundraised, if they like know other people who are kind of very visible in the community work of that company, um, then those are all uh, those are all high pulls. Um, I mean, I think SoundCloud was never on the kind of high end of, of salaries. I don't think many people necessarily considered the options at the time. It was a factor later on, um, but I think it was yeah just the passion for the work that was going. Well, to be the thing that the thing that you touched upon, I think, is one one of the things that I missed earlier, um, and it's incredibly important. So, one of the things that we uh, we found out developers. Uh, consider very important when evaluating job opportunities is the notion of being able to associate themselves with uh, the the wider company mission and what are you actually working at the products that you're building. So you know you, you said that a lot of the early team at SoundCloud, a lot of the programmers were people who really enjoyed music and enjoyed going out and, and therefore contributing towards building a platform uh, which was very much in line with with their. Um, Personal lives was I, I would have thought a massive pull factor for them, yeah. mm. and that's something that we leverage highly as well in our own recruitment for Stack Overflow. So, uh, um, most if not all of the developers um, who work for Stack Overflow are people who are active contributors to Stack Overflow, mm. the main Q and A side. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing is um, you know very talented developers. They like pushing you know their knowledge. They like you know a, a challenge. Um, so I think if you are a developer in Europe and you're saying well where should I go and work to solve hard problems, then a company like SoundCloud, where it's you know scaling to kind of millions or tens of millions of users, um, lots of different events, you know, it's a challenge around scaling architecture. So I think there is, even if you're not necessarily into the passion of like, okay, here's the subject matter of the company, sure. yeah. if that company is pushing a certain technology stack or they're doing a lot of stuff in the open source community, or there's lots of kind of other reasons for, 
um, for people to get involved. And then also, I think all of our, even when we had recruiters, but before that, we were always very active at um, developer events. So mm -hmm. we, we actually met a lot of um, future recruits through things like Music Hack Day, where we would interact with developers, but again, into that topic. So I think um, even at the early stage, I think a lot of the founders should make sure that they're out, out at those events and kind of flying the flag for their, for their company. Mm. So maybe moving on to a, a contentious topic, um, back when Marissa Meyer came on to Yahoo, one of the first things that uh, came up on the news that she did was this whole remote workers need to come into to major locations. And you know that had a, a knock on effect on, on, on a, definitely a lot of people. But one of the things that we were talking before we, we started recording was this idea of the flexibility. Yeah. And, how has that worked out? Like, so maybe we can talk about it both in terms of uh, SoundCloud or in terms of Hire My Friend and, and, and obviously with your experience in Matar is, is remote working a functional thing? I had Joel Gascogne from Buffer over here yeah. talking about how his entire team is that way. Yeah, yeah. And he said that if, if the entire team is that way, it works. Yeah. If only half the team is that, it creates problems. Yeah. So maybe, maybe you can just share kind of not only what you've seen work, but also kind of what people want. So I, I can give you, um, luckily I've come prepared, I've got my little black book of, of data here, so I can, I can share some uh, uh, stats on, on the subject matter. But I can also give you um, some background stories around how we do things in terms of your stack overflow. And um, our team is actually a mixture of both. So we have uh, a distributed team. So we have a lot of people who work remotely. Uh, we also have a lot of the product and engineers guys based in New York. And we also have a bunch of people here in London as well who work in product and engineering. So uh, and from what I've seen, it tends to work pretty well. Uh, I mean, Stack Overflow, the original Q&A site, was built predominantly by a distributed team. So you had John and uh, a handful of engineers sat in uh, Fog Creek's office in New York City. Uh, and, they, and then Jeff uh, out was somewhere in California, I believe. And then you have a bunch of engineers um, all over the place. So you had um, Sam in Australia. You had, uh, we had a German developer in Berlin, Ben. Um, nowadays, we have people literally everywhere. You know, uh, Slovenia, you name it. You have people in France, here, um, so from, from what I see from Stack Overflow, and mind you I don't work in engineering, uh, so this is just uh, uh, you know commenting as an observer, uh, you can have a team in-house in, in and also uh, people sat remotely and it tends to work. Having said that, Stack Overflow does a bunch of pretty unique things to ensure that remote works, so one of the things that we do, two things, number one, um, there's a agreed upon times that every single person on the engineering team has to be present and online, um, which is kind of tricky to get when you consider you have people literally in every single time zone, pretty much. Um, but um, if you think about this, you know, you have developers here perhaps starting a little bit later in the day, so you know, while sales and marketing, uh, you know, would be at work at like eight, nine in the morning. You know, some of the devs will roll into the office at like, you know, for lunch, essentially around 12 o'clock, but then they will work later so they can basically overlap their working day with the guys in the US. So that's one of the things that we, we do. And the other thing um, um, that we do, or the engineers do, is uh, they um, always, always have a Hangout open, a Google Hangout. Whether it's a meeting or not, even if you're just working, if you're working from home, you would basically be in a hangout. And if you don't want to talk to anyone, you don't have to. You just have your headset and you know you're listening to music, coding, whatever. But everyone can see you. It kind of creates this uh, feeling almost that you're in, in in the same room. So these are these are the things that we are able to do at Stack Overflow. And perhaps I can share 
kind of what we have seen um, on Stack Overflow careers and through research in terms of remote work. So um, let's have a look here. 20% of developers uh, would not consider a job unless it's it's a uh, it, it's remote, it's open to remote. Um, which is pretty powerful. I mean, that's that's a high number. Uh, is that is that twenty percent um, who want to work one hundred percent remote, or is it to have some flexibility to? This is a hundred. This is a hundred percent remote. Wow. And the tendency here is really interesting. More uh, experienced developers tend to put more emphasis on this. I think because again, I have, they just have the choice. You know what you're worth, uh, and you can afford to do it. Um, I have another interesting number for you. Um, which is that 10% of all developers are working full-time uh, remote uh, and 19% of programmers are working part-time remote, which is really interesting considering that only 2.6% of the entire US workforce works remote, so um, the preference is, is fairly clear. And in terms of job performance as well, what we have seen on Stack Overflow careers is the listings, job listings advertised on Stack Overflow careers and we have lots of them, uh, so it's a large data set. Um, Job listings that are open to remote work uh, get as many as three times, well, three times as many views as a, a regular listing, uh, and the number of apply clicks is six times as high. So there's a clear preference towards remote work. So one of the things that we see often is is first-time founders saying, "Oh, you know, I really want my team to be working here because it's very, very important." It is, it is in a way, but what we're saying is that you can potentially cast a much wider net if you consider. Really open up cool. that external yeah. pool larger. And I can give you a very interesting story, internal story as well. So um, Joel's first company, Fog Creek, um, based in New York, uh, it was founded in 2000, so they've been going for some you know, 15, 16 years now. Um, and they had always had a very strict policy of having people working in their office in New York. You could apply from anywhere in the world, they will pay for your visit, they will fly you in, they will pay you know, the relocation costs, everything, but you had to be based in the office. Um, and last year or the year before last, I can't remember now, they run into a bit of a situation where they spun out Trello as a separate company um, and a lot of their uh, top developers went to work on Trello uh, and there were not that many people who were left to work on, on Fogbury. They had this um, bug tracking system called Fogbugs uh, and that was something that was built, you know, 2000, 2001, so I don't know, so mm. you know, 12, 13 years ago. So hiring some, you know, for, for someone to work on, you know, a code base which was like 12, 13 years old in New York City proved incredibly challenging and they, they wanted to stick to the policy and they tried to do it for about a year, but eventually after, you know, 15 years or whatever, they said, this is it, we have to break our own rule uh, and, you know, start hiring remotely and they found someone really, really good, really experienced who was in Alaska, you know, and he, because of the market, that he didn't have any, any anything else interesting. So he was more than happy to compromise and work on you know, a code base, which was a little bit out of date, you might say. But, but from Alaska. Work from home, yeah. Good views. Yeah, yes. <laughs> cool. Well, um, Dave, do you have any last questions? Otherwise, yeah, no. Um, otherwise, we want to thank you for spending your sure. time and um, uh, answering a lot of these questions, which I'm sure a lot of people and founders have. Thank you very much. Cool. All right, later. All right.